Welcome to Spilling the Intersectionality, Newcastle University Feminist Society's brand new podcast that looks at all things intersectional feminism. I'm your host, Harriet Sloan, President. I am a final year law student and my pronouns are she, her. Today I'm joined with Ellie. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm the Welfare Officer of the Feminist Society. I'm a final year law student and my pronouns are she, her. Today's episode is Feminism 101, where we'll be looking at all things intersectional feminism. We want to make our listeners aware that the following episode does touch upon the topics of abortion, domestic violence, child marriage, rape, violent rioting, and unfortunately, Donald Trump. So Ellie, how have you been? I've been okay, thank you. It's my birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. So I've been spending some time with my housemates and just having a very lockdownified birthday, mm. but it was good nonetheless. How have you been? Good. I've been enjoying uh, celebrating your birthday. <laughs> Ellie and I live together, so uh, yeah, it's been a lot of cake. Mm. Uh, Ellie's partner got a cake that serves 20 and there's only four of us in the 24. house. 24. Oh, 24. Brilliant. Yeah. So um, we've got more cake than we probably need for the next year. Um, Feeding us 5,000, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, it's been very nice, chilled and getting on with work, unfortunately, mm. and battling online lectures and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, doing okay. And now we'll be looking at the news for the past couple of weeks. So um, these are five pieces of arguably feminist type news. Uh, We started 2021 on a high as Argentina's Congress voted to legalise abortion in a groundbreaking move. Until now, abortions were only permitted in cases of rape or when the mother's health was at risk. Have you heard about this, Ellie? What were your thoughts? I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it to me, just mm-hmm. because I've been trying to avoid the news a little bit, mm. looking after my mental health in the pandemic that we continue to face. Um, please wear your masks, everybody. <laughs> uh, but I had a quick quick Google of it when you mentioned it to me, and I think it's, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. anytime a country accepts and realises the rights of the women in mm. their country, it's always, always a win. So uh, Argentina being a very powerful, powerful Catholic church country um, and it has a growing evangelical community, but put up a strong opposition against this bill. Um, However, Argentina's mighty grieving wave, which is the the women's movement over there, um, you know, was at the forefront of the change and um, overturning a law that's been in place since 1921, so it's, you know, long uh, long being, overdue. Long overdue, exactly. Um, alongside the legislation of abortion, senators also voted in favour of a bill dubbed the 1,000 Day Plan, which will provide better health care for pregnant women and mothers of young children. So that's also um, Another piece of news that we've had over the past couple of weeks is the Capitol riots, as Congress certified Joe Biden's victory after the violent disruption. Many on social media were campaigning Uh, or comparing the images we saw a few months ago during the BLM protests. What were your thoughts on this one? (sighs) Where do we start? (laughs) I was angry. Mm. I was so angry. The media referring to them as Trump supporters and protesters when they were domestic terrorists. Yeah. They were. You know, they argue that they 
they're patriots and patriots and mm. they love democracy when they will literally divide in democracy the capitol mm. building is the image of american democracy and they were they mm. just oh and you know that whole clip that donald trump released saying you know go home we love you <laughs> A few months ago, you said when the looting starts, the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely two sides of a coin. Yeah. Um, very, very clearly showed the racism mm. in that country. Mm. Very much so, you know, there were images of, so one image, a police officer um, held the hand of a woman as she walked back down the stairs and... <laughs> They um they were pouring water into the eyes of the rioters who'd mm. gotten um tear gas in their eyes when yeah. I they literally tear gas an eleven year old girl yeah. in the summer. So yeah. I did see the one picture though, and it was that one officer who was a man of colour mm-hmm. facing twenty odd men in clothing like furs and carrying weapons, mm. and he was on his own, and he was facing them. Yeah, you've got um, a lot of far-right groups that claim that they were there. So you've got QAnon and the Proud Boys. Um, these are the sort of people that ask about you know, horrible things on Twitter and the likes during um, the BLM protests. Um, and they are also the ones who kind of started the Stop and Steal type campaigns. Um, or Stop the Steal, I should say. Uh DC police arrested more than five times as many people at the height of the BLM protest last summer than they did during the day of the insurrection at the Capitol. And um, not only that, but the district police made 61 unarrested related arrests on Wednesday and compared uh, with 316 on June the 1st. So there's a clear difference between the amount of protests. Um, Also, CNN went on to say that the department said that 56 of its officers were injured um, responding to what happened on uh, a couple of weeks ago. And in comparison with the department told the local news station in June that 21 officers were injured. So there's less arrests, but more officers being yeah. injured. And that also in really a less period of time, you know, the BLM protests were mm. going on for quite a while. Yeah. And this was one day. Yeah. And, you know, I saw a lot of pictures of the terrorists attacking the police while they carried blue lives matter flags so i mean yeah beautiful um another kind of piece of brilliant news uh is that trump was blocked on twitter and facebook on friday the 8th of january some 48 hours after the washington riots uh, twitter began a purge of some of the most in- influential pro-Trump accounts that had been pushing conspiracies and urging direct action to overturn the election results. Good, bit long overdue. A bit long overdue, but at the same time, he, and I mean, he is still the president of the United States. Well, hopefully not for long. Hopefully not for much longer, <laughs> but at the time that they did it, he was, and I feel like you know, who, who is the person that sits in Twitter headquarters and Facebook headquarters and goes, right, okay, we're going to block the president. Yeah, who makes that decision? Like, who decides, you know this? what, possibly, I mean, unfortunately, I'd say one of the most influential men, one of the most powerful men in yeah. the world, mm-hmm. you know, leader of the free world. To turn around and go, you know what, no, we're going to block him. 
makes that decision. Yeah, and you know, I think it needed doing, and it's a very, very good thing that it was done. Yeah. And but I can understand why understand why it wasn't done sooner. Yeah. Um it, I suppose after four years of of what's been going on, it, it did seem a bit like right, well, he is coming to the end of his presidency, yeah. but yeah. We, we don't care about you now. We never did. <laughs> So our next bit of um, fantastic news is Iran's cabinet approves uh, bail criminalising domestic violence against women. The draft bill was made, named uh, as Protection, Dignity and Security of Women Against Violence um, and was given the go-ahead by the cabinet um, a week ago. The legislation is being seen as a victory for women's rights activists in Iran who have been campaigning for change for years. Iran is among fewer than 50 countries that does not have specific domestic violence uh, compared to more than half the Middle East and North Africa region countries, according to the Human Rights Watch. So what did you think about this? I mean, you know, it is fantastic. Mm. The bill, especially, it focuses not only on criminalising certain actions but also educating yeah. educating the men in the country and you know educating the women as well to understand why sort of like how to spot it if it's not happening to them mm. and you know they're pushing for the, the judiciary and mm. the lawmakers and just like general powerful people in that country to take educating lessons on yeah. you know how to spot it why it's bad because it has to be at that level yeah at this point you know the some of the traditions in that country, you know, like honour killings and things mm. like that, incomprehensible to us. Well, yeah, exactly. But when it's so normalised, mm. you have to really start at the basics and start with, okay, this is why it's bad. Yeah. And the focus on the education and, you know, they're talking about putting on TV shows about, um, again, educating people of how to spot it and what to do mm. if you're a victim or what to do if you know someone who is. And it is fantastic. It could have gone further yeah there's still a lot of things that it doesn't do it doesn't criminalize marital rape and I don't think it criminalizes child marriage either no. um and something that's still really awful if the rape or the killing mm. is committed by a member of the family mm. they get less time um and that the the act doesn't change that at all absolutely you and I both doing criminology, both mm. doing, you know, law-based subjects, we know that these atrocities more than not happen as members of the family or people that are known yeah. to the family. So was, um, when I was reading up on it, there was a case, and oh, I can't remember this poor girl's name now, but um, her father beheaded her oh, because she tried to run away with her boyfriend. And she was 14. God. And it's just, uh, you got like nine years for it. It's absolutely horrendous now for his little girl's life. And it, it breaks your heart. So I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Mm. And hopefully it's going to set set up more to come. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a push in the right direction, I suppose. Like to, to you and I who have had case laws such as like R&R, in our lives since like millennium you and I were only born in 1999 so mm. it's always been the case that marital yeah. rape you know is criminalized yeah so I think probably we take things for granted when mm. that country hasn't 
it's, it's taking a long time to move in that sort of direction yeah. I suppose. but if you think as well you know obviously the case of R&R was what in the 1990s yeah it wasn't long before we were born at yeah. all and you know if we're supposed to be this you know progressive western world and yeah. we've only criminalized marital <laughs> rape 20 years yeah. ago yeah it's yeah I suppose I take those things for granted as yeah. women in their 20s but um I, I suppose a lighter piece of news not so much I suppose it's still an ongoing saga um I'm going to get this name right Shadira Eguru uh, took to Instagram this week to demand reparations for Florence Given or from Florence Given and her team for the publication of Women Don't Are You Pretty. This is in the wake of the social media saga of how the slum flower discovered the similarities between uh, Women Don't Are You Pretty and her own book What a Time to Be Alone and How to Get Over a Boy. Thoughts on this saga? <sighs> Very conflicted. Mm. Um, I I've never read Florence Gibbons' work. I've also never read Shadira's work. Mm-hmm. I saw when Florence's work blew up over social media in the yeah. summer. And, um, you know, it seemed everyone I knew was reading Women Don't Know You Pretty. And yeah. I, I always, I didn't feel uncomfortable about the book because, you know, I, I saw the title, I was like, yeah, true. Women Don't Know You Pretty. <laughs> no one knows you pretty. And I think, you know, people who have read it said, you know, it's an excellent gateway. Yeah. It's a really it's a really good um sort of like explanation of these terms like intersectionality and things like that that people yeah. might not have come across before. Mm-hmm. It felt very plastic. Mm-hmm. I've always felt the books looked very aesthetically pleasing. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> but I've I can't remember who said it, but I've seen someone refer to it as it's a coffee table book. Yeah. It's a book you buy, you put on your coffee table and you don't read. And that's no disrespect to either of the authors. Mm. Um, I know Shadira, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. They used her re- um, recommendation of the book. Yeah. But Shadira hadn't actually read the book. Yeah. Um, her recommendation, so to speak, that they plastered everywhere when they advertised mm. this book was um, a Florence given herself. Mm. And Shadira was really singing Florence's praises. And it was only after the book was published that she saw the similarities. She's probably got no issue with her before no, the book was published. They have this. Well, they had the same management company, Diving oh. Bell. Um, Chidera had terminated her contract with them in November, I think, and it was okay. supposed to. I think it was supposed to end today. Actually, that was the official end date of it. Mm-hmm. And she's going to continue to work with them because it was a you know a civil three months. Um, yeah sort of like ending contract kind of thing and when Chidira spoke up about how you know mm-hmm. she felt like her work had been plagiarized and she was getting their reparations for that they dropped her they emailed her and dropped her and she's I know she has felt very 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 alone mm-hmm. in her battle I know she does want reparations from Florence's book mm-hmm. Florence released a very forced statement I believe Mm. on her Instagram and her Instagram page I've seen people point out if you go to her Instagram page she's removed she's organized her highlights and one of them says start here and it's all of the work the work that she's done mm-hmm. of trying to uplift like minority voices interesting mm-hmm. and and then it like goes into more of her work and then it goes into her statement that she made about the Chajira situation Gosh, okay feels very uncomfortable yeah 
however you know people have made the really valid point of neither of their work is new no. this idea of throw the whole man away no, and um, toxic relationships like focus on yourself love yourself mm. it's not new no but you know voices that emerged in the 1670s sort of Audrey Lord, Bell Hooks these are the sort of people that were saying about self-respect mm-hmm. and um how looking after oneself is a form of activism and only then can you go ahead and help others yeah no I don't think it is these things are new um I did see that Shadira's book is like selling out now yes because Um, people are like oh my goodness have I really just read the work that this white feminist which mm. people are starting to accuse Florentina of being a white feminist mm. because I mean she she does cite Jadira at the end of the book as being uh, you know someone that she looks up to and someone that she takes a lot of inspiration from but mm. they are they are very similar in the style mm. and Jadira's did come first but I don't I don't know. It's a very complicated situation. I do feel for Chidera because she has said several times she feels very alone in this yeah. battle. Um, because Florence is, you know, she's put out this statement and she's not said anything else since. Mm-hmm. But um yes, something that people were pointing out to Chidera, mm-hmm. which Florence has denied. Mm-hmm. When you search for um, what a time to be alone. Yeah. Florence's book comes up so it's the fifth I think it comes up as the fifth option on Google mm. and it comes up first on like the Google buy yeah and a lot of people have said that that must mean that she's bought the rights the advertising rights okay. Florence has said that's not happened she doesn't know why her book's coming up first she has not bought the advertising rights people searching the saga no, no. so it would it comes up like that on Amazon. If you look out for what I have to be on Amazon, um, Florence's book comes up because it comes up as a similarity. Right, yeah. But for it to come up first as the advertising, mm. it means that someone's done something. Yeah. Um, Chidira has no proof of that. Florence has denied it. So mm. we don't know for sure, but it is very suspicious. Yeah, I was looking on uh, Florence's Instagram earlier this week and she's employed a solicitor mm. who's looked um you know through both books um and looking at whether or not there is any claim in terms of um, plagiarism and Mm. and a legal claim there um and the solicitors have said no but of course her solicitors yeah I'm sure (laughs) Tadiris would say the opposite (laughs) so it's yeah it's going to be an interesting thing and I'm sure it's we won't hear the last of it no this section um, we have a content warning for violence against sex workers murder the patriarchy and male suicide so now we're coming on to our topic questions so ellie what is newcastle university feminist society who are we we are <laughs> let me get our full title up because i always miss one of them off we're an amazing society at newcastle university <laughs> And we are an intersectional, trans-inclusive, anti-racist and body-positive feminist society. And how long have you been a member for? 
I've been a member for two years. I mm-hmm. joined last year and um, I was a very terrible member. Um, I very rarely <laughs> showed up just because I couldn't be bothered to walk all that way to the campus in the cold. I must admit, <laughs> I wasn't quite as dedicated to my feminism as I am now. Um, and then I decided that towards the end of last year, mm-hmm. I was really interested in being on committee, mm-hmm. even though I hadn't really met anybody. I was like, I want to start meeting people. I want to get involved. Um, and that's when I decided I wanted to be the welfare officer because mm-hmm. I like looking after people. I am a, I am a mother hen. Yes, I think you're probably very suited to the role. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then obviously I've been on committee all this year and I think we've been doing a really good job. Yeah, so we've had to move our like setup to online, which has been very different. Um, I've been on committee now for two years. I've been part of site three and yeah it's different but I wouldn't say it's worse I think we're being more accessible now that things are online mm, it's a lot easier for us to do we were just talking about this morning how uh, being on campus is not always an accessible thing and um, you know we've got students that are abroad international students and hopefully if we have varied times we can get everybody involved which is lovely um, as far as I know we've kind of a long-standing society of of Newcastle University we used to be called New Wamsock so Newcastle University Women's Society um obviously we kind of moved past our um oh gosh white feminism (laughs) and started realizing an intersectional uh, stance and we'll kind of go on now to our next question so Ellie when did you realize that you were a feminist um I think I've always held feminist views to some extent mm-hmm. um, for, since I've been old enough to. Yeah. You know, I don't think baby Ellie was running around being that bothered about the patriarchy. but um, Living her best life. Yeah, she was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always been very angry about inequality. Yeah. I was always the one at school where if, you know, one of the boys in my class made a sexist comment, mm-hmm. I was ready to start throwing hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of secondary school early secondary school because I was I was an angsty teen I went through an emo phase so nice. it was a, that vibe of like I don't care what you think about me anyway <laughs> <laughs> well she was hard work was she kind of a radical feminist would you say or um not necessarily no I think she just looked radical yeah <laughs> I walked around with my creepers on when oh, I was like 13 nice. years old oh yeah God, I, I was see walking it. on the science corridor with my creepers I thought it was a vibe anyway <laughs> <laughs> I think some people probably thought I was radical because you know especially and I don't want to keep bashing the boys because it's difficult you know they've never really been in a lot of people haven't really been introduced to this idea yeah. of like if you believe in equal rights, you're a feminist. Mm. You know, you don't have to have like all the knowledge. You need to have mm. read all these feminist writings. And I think because I was sort of being like, oh, that's that's not fair. That's, that's yeah. sexist. Then everyone was like, feminazi. But um, I think I'm going back to the question because I had my other tangent. I probably started to identify as a feminist in college okay. because I did sociology mm-hmm. and we, it was a very, very basic understanding. So we did liberal feminism, radical feminism, and liberal feminists were white feminists. Looking back on it now, it was very white feminism. Yeah. Radical feminists, black feminism, and Marxist feminism. Mm-hmm. And it was very like 
separated like sometimes we would look at like black Marxist feminism but never like more than that it never intersected any more than that so this idea of intersectionality Mm. I was always aware that you can like people have different issues coming from different angles but I didn't know what that word was yeah um so yeah I would say probably from college and then obviously joining university I started to learn more about it and as we became friends I started Mm. to understand more from you and then being on committee this year I've been able to learn a lot because a lot of our committee members are very very knowledgeable Mm. and very wise (laughs) <laughs> so yes even just get like a more of a diverse view coming to mm. university you meet people that maybe aren't the sort of people you would meet in the community you grew up in and that in of itself learning different experiences is probably really helpful yeah. to develop your own feminism but um kind of in a similar way I was probably um that child who always pointed out when things weren't fair um I, I don't know how well liked I was for doing that but um <laughs> in college not so much it's funny because I did uh, a lot of English lit uh, language history mm. based subjects so in lit people would say oh this is a feminist writer and it was always this has got a female lead in it or it's written by a woman mm. and you're like mm-hmm. not 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 the same mm. thing yeah like it's like pride and prejudice no 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 no. (laughs) absolutely not and um I was the only person in my so I had a class of I think eight girls doing English lit at A level and they all did women as their topic for coursework and I was the only one who did setting because I was just like no I don't want to it's not that I didn't want to focus on women it's that it didn't ring true for me. Yeah. You can't just say there is a woman in this book and therefore it's feminist. I just, I, I can't. Um, and moreover, there is a white woman in this book. Like, it, yeah. So I was probably the exact same, came to university. Obviously, I think probably with you and I, the law route was probably because we weren't happy with the, the inequality in our world. Mm. Um, and you know maybe the subjects that we've chosen kind of show that but came to university and just again like really wanted to get involved in my first year and I said to one of the girls in my flat oh well I, I want to join the feminist society and she pulled a face at me and she's like oh, burning bras like no not no. quite not quite you're honest with you I don't think we've ever asked people to burn their bras because no. it's very expensive yeah, you know what? You don't want to wear a bra. Don't um, wear a bra. I mean, I feel like some of our members probably would burn a bra. Yeah. Oh, and as is their right. But <laughs> <laughs> not not a prerequisite of being part of the society. No, it's not that's our initiation. <laughs> <laughs> no initiations, just being a wonderful, open-minded person, I think, um, is all that we ask. So, Ellie, what does intersectionality mean to you? So going back to what I mentioned earlier about this idea that people can have different struggles from different areas of life, Mm -hmm. it's this understanding that people can be oppressed in different ways by different places that, you know, for somebody else, it might uphold them while it oppresses someone else. You know, myself and Harriet are both two cisgendered white women. Mm -hmm. And so we face oppression in terms that we are women and the patriarchy is oppressive 
However, we don't suffer the same level of, of oppression as a black woman does or a trans woman or you know, a disabled woman. We can't understand those struggles and those issues because we don't necessarily have them. Yeah. And so it's the understanding that people have different issues in different ways and to hold space for everybody mm-hmm. to find their way through their separate struggles. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one because I think when I was starting to really understand it, it for me it was understanding my own privilege as a white woman, the fact that I can walk into certain rooms that black women wouldn't be able to walk mm. into as a cis woman. I you know, I present in a way that the patriarchy and vast amounts of society are happy about. I I I am I sometimes dress in a feminine way so that is pleasing to some people mm. that they go yes that's that's fine with me I think yes it's understanding those intersections but also not celebrating them but celebrating the diversity that we have yeah and that that being okay and that being black being trans being bisexual or gay or queer is not a bad thing because I think sometimes these are put in the bad zone by Mm. some people and that it's a real a difficult one um I think coming back to kind of what Audrey Lord was saying we don't live single issue lives some of us have more privilege than others you know if you are a white cisgendered male you are kind of at the top of this food chain but the patriarchy still affects you Mm. in one way or another um and kind of a sad amount of affairs but um something we all probably need to recognize so why do you think feminism or the f word is <laughs> a dirty word to some people Ellie? i think it scares a lot of people yeah. um it's i think for some people it's this again that's again this idea of a feminazi mm. and like radical feminism and the destruction of men and I also think that perhaps some people don't like it because it means change. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, as we've sort of mentioned briefly, the patriarchy, I mean, it doesn't help anybody yeah. ever, but it, the people that it's least awful to are, you know, middle-class white cisgendered males. Yeah. And a lot of these middle-class white cisgendered males are in positions of power especially in the government and things like yeah. that, you know, CEOs. And the idea of feminism and the idea of equality, the idea of change, means to them that they lose out. Yeah. Because there's now more competition. Yeah. And I think, I remember, so just for background context, I used to be an air cadet mm-hmm. and I was chosen to... Um, interview to be the first Asian Commanders Cadet of RF Waddington basically just meant I was like I was wandering around with the Asian Commander going to all these fancy events looking cool (laughs) and I did get it and I was for the interview stage I was up against two young men Mm -hmm. one was the same rank as me and one was a rank no they were both the rank below me and the first thing they said to me when I walked in was 
oh, and we heard there was a flight sergeant. We thought there'd be lots of badges and, and all these ribbons and stuff because there are certain things you can do in air cadets to get different like qualifications and stuff. Yeah. And they expected me to walk in and have, you know, a lanyard that meant that I could teach people and yeah. like all of the badges I could get. And at that point, I hadn't done much. Mm-hmm. I just, I was kind of vibing, enjoying myself. Yeah. Hadn't done that much stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. And so straight away, they wrote, wrote me off because I didn't have these lanyards they were expecting me having, so on and so forth. And then when I came out of my interview, the same boy who had said to me, oh, where, where's your lanyard? Yeah. Was, did you pull the woman card? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't in an RAF, I would just max him. Yeah. I was like, no, I didn't pull the woman card. I just know my stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'd researched, I could have told you anything about RAF Woodington. I could tell you the planes they had, what they were up to, you know, the different squadrons they had, because I'd done my research because I wanted it. Yeah. And he assumed because it was three of us and I was the only girl. Just pull that diversity card. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was livid. Yeah. And it's people like that who would think feminism is a dirty word mm. because it means that we can use it to our advantage. Yeah. I had, um, it's not entirely similar, but I had a conversation with my grandparents who I love dearly and their view of feminism until probably their granddaughter was chatting to them about what she was doing, um, was this kind of 60s feminism, okay? Um, the burning your bras, the hippies and the... Which I love, I'm not going to lie. I, I really am ready for that life. But um, my grandfather was telling me about how he had gone to a some sort of conference when he was at work. This was during the 80s. and this woman came on stage um, and she, one of the speakers and she claimed that she was a feminist. This is the first thing she said. She then started off the conversation with content warning here for um, sexual deviancy. Um, she said, all men are perverts. All men are rapists. And that probably switched my grandfather off from feminism for a very long time because he thought that it was men hating yeah now that is not who my grandfather is he's probably one of the most feminist men I know he's he's wonderful um he has a lot of respect for others but that was then his view yeah and his experience and I suppose that's such a shame because then I explained what we do at FemSoc and it was like, that's just world's different. I yeah. said, you know, look, you couldn't say that I didn't have that view. Of course I don't. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have that many men in my life. But I do, <laughs> and, I, and I love them dearly. But it was interesting that that had warped his view for such a long time. Yeah. And we had this conversation, obviously, like a year or so ago now. So about 30 years, that's kind of what he thought of yeah. feminazis, if you like. And, you know, if that was his first proper personal experience with feminism Mm. of course that's what he's going to think it is because if you don't see anything else yeah that's what you assume do you think kind of moving on a little bit do you think turfs and swerfs kind of their their presence in the media warp this view of feminism because to me they're not feminist oh no not, (laughs) not at all then they're not if you're not advocating 
everyone's right, then you might as well not advocate for any. Like, you know, I know that sounds very extreme to say, but if you're if you're the kind of person who will petition and advocate until you get what you want and yeah. then disregard everyone else mm. then you aren't a feminist at all no. you can sit there and say you are until you blue in the face but that's not what feminism is and it's not this idea of like oh it's different branches of feminism it's not like if you're not gonna support the trans community yeah who you know uh oppressed every which way yeah. they turn yeah and you're not going to protect them and give them the space and let like elevate their voice then you aren't you aren't a feminist because my version my version of feminism if you like my idea of feminism the feminism that I try and practice is I'm in a position where I can help other people I can make space and raise the voices of others Mm -hmm. and that's what I try and do and that's what I will continue to do and beyond this first episode that's kind of what we want to do with this Mm. podcast is to get different voices and and diverse voices that um hopefully the students will be able to listen students or any listeners can um can learn from it's an interesting one i think with swerfs um so that's sex worker exclusionary radical feminists um i think they may get a little bit more leeway than turfs um because uh, of the nature of what they're against I yeah. suppose they're not against they are against individuals but they don't see it they see it against sex work mm. not sex workers so thinking about that idea I um sounds like a tangent but I will get mm. back I recently started watching the Netflix documentary about the Yorkshire Ripper it's called oh, The Ripper yeah. and the first episode they're talking about his first three victims I think and his mm. first victim victim was um I can't remember her first name last name was Wilcox okay and um she was and I hate this word but it was she was a prostitute okay she was a sex worker Mm -hmm. on the streets and she had four kids at home and she was providing for her family yeah and her son was interviewed and he he was like she was doing what she could to look after us my dad left us a year ago she had four kids she was doing what she needed to do to survive and it and because she was a sex worker and because it was the 80s and mm. they didn't respect her, she wasn't the kind of victim that the media was bothered about. Yeah. Within three days, her her death had been forgotten about. And, you know, she'd left these four kids behind who loved their mum to pieces. Yeah. And it doesn't didn't make her any less of a woman. It didn't make her any less of a person, any less of, a, of an individual who deserved the respect yeah and you know it took unfortunately it took the death of what they considered to be a respectable citizen yeah to die by the hands of the ripper in order for them to do something about it to connect these deaths and think okay no like we've got an issue here I think another element as well kind of I know that that was just specific to that Mm. person is that they this painting of sex work as a non not a choice it's something that somebody has to do because they are so desperate that they mm. have to sometimes it's a choice because yeah. that's what that person wants to do and mm. 
Oh yeah. You know, no, no, by, no, by no, no way was I trying to say, no, you know, no, no, people no. only have sex when they have to, you know, sex no. work is work one hundred percent. And you know that might have work. worked for her yeah. in her circumstances. And with four children, she's probably fit, fitting it between different things yeah. and, and schooling and all that. And but, you know, whether or not someone goes into sex work because they like that poor that woman in her mm. situation, you know, and unfortunately the way that she died. Mm just because she was almost forced into it doesn't mean that other people are and regardless yeah. of the situation like and the reason why they go into sex work doesn't mean they deserve any less or any more respect than anyone why, else why is it any concern with anybody yeah. else's I think that's the bit with me is when turfs or swerves or, why is it a concern of you yeah why do you care why do you care what that person is doing mm. or how they identify or really is your life that boring like that's my <laughs> question I'm like don't I don't understand I just don't understand and I suppose coming back to the question of why we think feminism is a dirty word I think it's to do a lot with misconception mm, at every every turn it's to do with misconception and when it's not it's probably doing with this understanding of I've used this pie analogy before but if you are a person that's got a degree of privilege you are thinking that a part of your pie is being stolen but that was never your part piece of pie yeah and that's kind of the sad thing but we hope that the likes of this podcast in our society will um maybe move those views on especially within Newcastle University so what is the patriarchy we've touched upon it quite a lot during this episode but what is this word that we keep talking about what a big question (laughs) (laughs) it's in the most basics basics of terms terms. it's the social construct that puts again white middle class cisgendered men at the top of the pyramid how about these upper class cisgendered men they're 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 like they float around the top of the triangle (laughs) like they're not even in the triangle they're just oh they're just they're like okay they've they've transcended jeff bezos donald trump transcended okay nothing can touch them (laughs) that's the patriarchy (laughs) um and it means that the top of the triangle Mm which is white men mm-hmm. hold the most power yeah. and then the oppression just gets worse the lower down we go so you know upper class middle class cisgender white women are sort of further up because they don't face as much and then it just gets lower and lower and lower and lower and then yeah. the people on the bottom are just <sighs> I don't yeah. want to swear <laughs> they they have it bad they have it bad mm-hmm. But at the same time, apart from those few men who've transcended past the patriarchy and are the patriarchal gods of the world, mm. it doesn't suit anybody. No. Everybody gets a bad time because of the patriarchy. It's a strange system because those at the top of the food chain, if you like, don't realize how the system doesn't help them either mm. um you know we've chatted about before that idea of you know male suicide and all these awful things 
but imagine having that on top of racism yeah on top of um you know sexism or transphobia or homophobia and all these things and then uh, the fact that you are um those things means that you can't get a job in the industry you want or you can't live in a certain area and it just gets worse as you say the people at the bottom are having it bad yeah but, um <laughs> i know you and i've spoken about this before but where does capitalism capitalism intersect with patriarchy that's a real interesting question yeah so i've again because i did sociology at college and seem to think that it that now influences my everyday life (laughs) if i am a sociologist what can i say Mm um i don't know if if it's the way i was taught or if it was just the theories that i like i felt better represented how i felt yeah but I do see capitalism and the patriarchy as one yeah. almost because you know capitalism still benefits the people at the top of the patriarchal triangle mm. and our transcended friends above mm. more so than anyone else in that triangle yeah because you know the people who have it the worst in terms of capitalism is those who are on the breadline or those who are in poverty garment workers yeah. who are still not being paid the wages that they should their wages at all or when they are paid their wages they're mm. still paid pennies for the work that they do yeah and you know the further you get up this social ladder the less negatively capitalism affects you mm-hmm. and it seems that this social ladder directly transplants almost into this patriarchal triangle yeah and the further you apart you are on one the further up you are on the other mm. But it's a real interesting idea. I think it's something that I've fought with and, and possibly the way I've been influenced as a young person. I think I need all this stuff. Yeah. I think I need stuff. And I, I don't, um, it's like kind of a little bit like what I was saying to you, I thought I needed to eat meat. Well, no. You, you can choose to and you can choose not to and it you know I've the minute um for anyone who's interested I am cutting out meat where I can and it's it's helping my pocket and it's hopefully helping the environment a bit more um do I need to buy these clothes do I need all this makeup what am I wearing that makeup for is it because of male gaze is it because I want to like and then I'm sat there going oh <laughs> why am I doing these things I think if you're doing them it's supposed to make you happy questionably not because mm. why is it making me happy but having the th- those thoughts and where are these things coming from and who made them and what were they paid is probably a nice way to start I suppose yeah. when you're buying things definitely um I have quite here uh, from a philosopher, philosopher, and I'm going to butcher this name. I'm really sorry. Um, Amir Serinvasan. Whether there is something in common between the Weinstein affair, the election of Trump, the plight of women garment workers in Asia, and women farm workers in North America, and the Indian rape epidemic, it allows people to ask whether some machine is at work that connects all the experiences they're having with all the experiences others are having. It's really true. Yeah. It's 
these things have happened for a reason. <laughs> like they all are connected. Um, and I think that probably sums up the patriarchy, I hope. Um, I'm sure we'll touch upon this topic a lot during these next few episodes. Mm. Um, something to just be aware of. So how would you describe the wave of feminism we're experiencing now? Well, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult one because, so just for anyone who's not aware what we mean when we talk about waves of feminism, the first wave of feminism is considered to be um, the women's voting rights that happened yeah. in like the 1919, 1918 um, in England and then in America a couple of years later. And the waves are seen as like rises and falls of activism. Yeah. For different like reasons. So obviously the first wave was for um the women's right to wrote to right. Vote voting rights. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um but also it's really important just to note that it was the right to vote for again white middle class women who mm. owned property and were married. Um and she it helped. stopped there, you know the you know women of colour couldn't vote, women who weren't married couldn't vote, women who anyone who wasn't a very specific minority of mm. not a minority, a specific group mm. in society still didn't have the right to vote. And they were like, yeah, well done ladies, we've done it. It works. <laughs> we can go back home now. It's like mm, no. And they probably were going to vote exactly how the husband was voting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I have lots of issues with first wave feminism. And then, you know, it moves on like that. But I feel like we've gotten to a point now where I know some argue that we're possibly in fourth wave. Mm. You know, considering the Times Up and the Me Too movement. Yeah. And there's definitely more of um a rise and like opening up about um just a content warning for this area in particular um sexual assault and sexual violence mm. there's been a lot more awareness around the idea that sexual violence sexual assault yeah. and harassment is very very commonplace everywhere you turn it's very serious and you know, so like there's the reclaim the night marches and things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I think possibly fourth wave, but they've all kind of blended at this point. Yeah, so we're weirdly moving on from the girl boss type third mm. wave feminism. I don't. I'm it's not still feminism. there. It's, it's, not, it's feminism. not feminism, but girl power, that sort of idea, and. And moving towards like fourth wave. Um, arguably, with what went on with the BLM protests, we are seeing a fifth wave kind of feminism. We're moving on now to people taking some interest, I suppose. Yeah. Whether or not, to me, it doesn't really matter because I think feminism should be a constant. There will be dips mm. um, and there will be rises where there are serious changes um i i spoke about this in an event last week but what i'm seeing now is um 
call it urban outfitters kind of feminism this um very much a aesthetic and not whether or not you're doing activism you've got to do as much as you can do and yeah. that's not for me to say how much you're able um but to have you know feminism on a mug does not make you a feminist that just means you have a mug <laughs> yes. it's like doesn't it's really like, mean oh, much to me but the like the feminist t-shirts that you can get <laughs> from like boohoo and misguided yeah and it's like the, the people who made that shirt are not being paid which then feeds into capitalism and then feeds into the patriarchy so it's a really clever way of the patriarchy are warping this idea of feminism for for mm. young people i suppose but yeah i don't know how much it matters but then terse and swerve still exist white feminists still exist so are we actually in a new wave of feminism are we still stuck in the fourth wave who's to know you and i are not probably the best people to ask but um it's where the only ones anyone's here to answer so yeah exactly so um i I hope we're moving a bit further forward but it seems like when we were talking about the capital riots earlier on i don't know how much we are (laughs) unfortunately i think some people in society are and i'd like to think a lot of people in society are you know Mm -hmm. it's very uplifting to be surrounded by all our wonderful members um people who are very progressive and you know understand the need for progression and things like that but I think there's also an awful lot of people who can't see why it's important possibly doesn't affect them as much exactly Mm. um it's a difficult one it is and I think Unfortunately, I think it might be a while until we can get rid of turfs and swerfs. Mm. Um, I have to wait for them to die out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, or maybe based on the like, individualism that we're experiencing now, being at home, being you know in a pandemic, we aren't able to have these collective discussions quite in the same way. Yeah. Um, I know it's a thing that we, you and I have always kind of been worried about with our own events that we run, that we can't let good debate going because we are on Zoom. Mm. And that's, that's a strange one. And being able to create a comfortable space, I know you as welfare officer have worked really hard to make sure that everyone's fully aware this is a space you can chat. It is a Zoom call. Nothing's recorded. No one's going to hear you afterwards. Like, yeah. Just get off your chest what you need to Mm. um because without having these chats there's going to be no development and even if it is on a small level of a university society yeah um we hope it might make a difference and we'll get these conversations going but I think something I always I don't know I don't know who said it but something always sits with me is that activism starts at home change starts at home yeah and it's you know starting with the people in your life your friends and your family mm-hmm. and challenging them when they say something questionable if they you know like over christmas obviously um fairy tale of new york the oh. same debate with fairy tale of new york always comes around because you know i used to love that song and i still it's do it's a bop. just don't say the word just, it's not <laughs> it's not hard it mm-hmm. really isn't hard if you can you know there's a lot more focus around 
if you're singing along to a rap song and they say the n-word you don't say it too you don't mouth it yeah and that's just starting to get through to people Mm. and I think a lot of people don't understand why the slur in um Fred Hell New York is so bad yeah and it's a lot of like I'm going to ruin the Christmas cheer and I'm going to tell you why you can't say that word yeah and you know sometimes it's uncomfortable I know over the summer I had a lot of uncomfortable conversations with people just trying to you know not attack them but just help educate them and help them see why what they're saying is not right you know my parents bless them they couldn't understand why it was offensive or not the right thing to say all lives matter and I explained Mm. to them you know it's all lives do matter Mm. but we're saying black lives matter because they're being treated as if they don't and that's when they were like oh okay and then that was that but it takes a lot of people to you know there's a lot of people who don't want to have those conversations because they're uncomfortable and like it's horrible to be uncomfortable but we have to make ourselves uncomfortable if we're going to see change and there's white people I feel who really need to be uncomfortable at this time yes very uncomfortable with like what our ancestors have done are doing mm. uh, um and do you know what? I saw a video of a woman and she said a really good way if people say all lives matter is to be saying all babies matter except your baby yeah your baby because that's at the end of the day these poor individuals who are being murdered at the hand of a state are somebody's baby they are somebody's son or daughter or brother or sister and that I think rings at home to people a bit more yeah because when you say a baby you instantly think of somebody vulnerable yeah yeah it's it's definitely an interesting one I don't know what wave of feminism we're in no no idea I think it's just a bit of a chaotic sea at this point (laughs) I keep seeing lovely things happening the likes of what's happened in Iran and what's Mm. happened um in Argentina and you think yes win brilliant fantastic great but and there's always a but yeah and maybe when we have less buts yeah (laughs) there's always always more to be done yeah less buts less buts so who is one of your feminist icons um a lot of students really gonna jump out (laughs) in this section because my one of my feminist icons is um, Lady Hale. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know who that is, she's recently retired from the Supreme Court. She was the first woman to sit on the Supreme Court. And she's she's adorable. I love her. She's, for the entire time that she sat on the bench, she has advocated for those who don't have a voice she was always prepared to call out her fellow justices yeah about things that they said she was like no that's not right but she was also very aware of her own privilege Mm. she's I do believe I don't I think this is right she was educated at Uni of Manchester yeah I don't think she was educated at Oxbridge no she's not Oxbridge and she's one of the only ones one of the only ones one of the only justices of the supreme court or the only justice of the supreme court 
who isn't Oxbridge educated and she's aware that she says you know I, I know I hold a special place being there's now a second woman who sits on the bench but at the time you know and she was also the first female um president president yeah president of the Supreme Court and she was always very aware that you know everyone who was around her was Oxbridge educated and she wasn't and she was a woman and in those senses she was the underdog but she knew that more needed to be done because she was still a white woman who still went to a fantastic university even if it wasn't Oxbridge and she has said so many times you know we need diversity on this court in this court in order to protect the members of our society Mm. She's always dissenting. She's always, 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 always arguing. But do you know what? It, you'll be reading a Supreme Court case and people go, basically, yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, yes, but this matter. And it, it's so true. We used to get so excited as like first, second year law students seeing her dissent. Yeah. Because it was like, you're bringing something up that has not been spoken about in the entirety of this case. Yeah. Um that is clearly the matter yeah (laughs) and because it wasn't something that they wanted to talk about something Mm. they wanted to bring up being uncomfortable yeah lady hale was like you're not getting off scot-free yeah we're going to talk about this and you're going to listen to me and she is she's like what fine foot she's very small lady (laughs) but she's like our very own rbg she is that's the thing people don't know about that people know about rbg in the uk but they don't know about Lady Hale. And no. I think maybe that's a failure of British education. Perhaps. But like, um, but she is she is five foot of pure power. And I had a little moment to myself when I found out that she was retiring. Yeah, she's cute. Because cute. I do I did worry what it meant for the future of the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and the kind of decisions and judgments we were gonna get from them in the following years. We thought at the minute, um, I'm just going to double check this. Yeah, Lord Reed. Um, if I remember rightly, used to be on the lines of uh, Lady Hale. They used to yeah. dissent together often. Reading Lord Reed and Lord Kerr. Yes. Used to dissent with her quite a lot. So I feel like, and I, I do feel like if Lady Hale sees a decision that she's not very happy with, she will be ringing Lord <laughs> Reed up and being like, mm, excuse me, sir, this, this, you better change this next time. Um, I saw an interesting interview with her actually about she had divorced her husband and um, it was to do with whether or not for those who don't know when uh, we used to have um, the justices of the Supreme Court as Lords um, House of Lords Lords. there used to be a religious element oh yeah Church of England Protestant religious element to them and they asked her whether or not she was Protestant, whether she was religious. And she says, I divorced my husband and married my partner the next day. What do you think? And I was like, <laughs> yes. Basically, her and her husband had been separated for a long time, weren't both happy, and um, had married their new partners mm. literally the next day and were both very happy with their new, yeah. new loved ones, which is gorgeous and, yeah, and beautiful. very liberal. Um Mine is, well, I've seen about this for a long time. 
Carrie Morrison, who was the first woman in the UK to qualify as a solicitor in 1922, would be the obvious choice for me as somebody who is an aspiring solicitor who wants that career path. Carrie Morrison, obviously, upper class, white, got into that position because some uh, man in her life allowed her to, to be in that position, yeah. essentially. So I thought a best choice for me would be Constance Briscoe. And for those who don't know, she was the first black uh, woman to qualify as solicitor in the UK. I will get this right. Constance Briscoe qualified in the 70s, I want to say. Um, oh, no, gosh, even worse. 83. Beautiful. Um, she qualified in 83. So that's, you know. Six odd years afterwards. Beautiful. That's upsetting. Um, she is a Newcastle University law student, well, was a Newcastle University law student, like Ellie and I. Um, and I think that in of itself, um no one speaks about Constance Briscoe. And I think yeah. that says a lot. But also mental that she was the first black female solicitor mm. to qualify and she qualified in the 80s yeah wild racist <laughs> 12 years no 12 years 15 years before you and i were born like it's not not that long ago now and I, the fact that she isn't celebrated quite quite as much I think she's in Newcastle Law School as far as I know I think there's a mm. portrait of her um I don't know which people would know about her especially young black women that are going into the uh, legal sphere might listen to this and hopefully go I'm gonna look into Constance Briscoe because she probably needs to be your idol and not mm. the likes of um Carrie Morrison because she got into that position because of her father or her, her husband I'm not too yeah. sure allowed that to happen yeah so ellie what are you reading right now and that you think people should check out um i wish i could say that i'm reading some wonderful feminist literature and look very well educated but <laughs> i am not i am reading the miss peregrine's home for peculiar children series oh, nice. um i read i devoured them when my parents bought me the first two for my birthday a few years ago mm. and we got stuck because we could not find the third one for love no money mm. and then we found the third one so mum bought it me for christmas and mm. then on my birthday i opened the fourth and the fifth one so and i'd not read, read them for about a year so now i'm rereading the first one mm -hmm. because oh, they're just they're incredible they're one of these books where i'm not reading words on a page um I'm watching it in yeah. my mind's eye and it's absolutely phenomenal because they are a series of sort of five books mm. there might be more the fifth one was only published in 2020 so I'm not sure where, where the author's going to be going with it but they're just it's one long story yeah. so the second one picks up where the first literally okay. the second where the first one ends mm. and then it's the same with the second to the third one and they're just if you've seen the films mm. Uh, well, the film, it's a similar... I've not seen the film, I watched the trailer, mm. um, but then I got really upset because they swapped the peculiarities of two of the main characters and there was literally no reason to, mm. um, which upset me a lot. 
but the this the idea of it is fantastic and and I, I do I love them deeply mm. and I recommend them to anybody who needs something just to distract them from the world some fluff some fluff do you know what I completely agree I think it's like Netflix shows just light-hearted comedies that I'm going to give a shout out to Big Mouth uh, Ellie and I have been <laughs> watching that recently I think we just need something to take mm. our mind off the world at the minute and yeah. like being able to fall into a book and into the story must be really nice at the time. And um, just a final point about these books, because I do rave about them to anyone who will listen. Mm. <laughs> if you're if you're in, interested in fiction books, um, the the author. So there's there's pictures throughout. It's not a picture book, but every so often there'll be like a section where there'll just be like a picture, mm. and it. Firstly, talks about how the um, the main character Jacob, his grandfather, used to show him these pictures of these wonderful, peculiar children he lived with in the children's home when he was young. Mm. Um, and there's the, like the front of the first cover; it's a little girl in the, in the woods, but her feet aren't touching the floor. And then there's another one of a boy holding; he's very skinny, but he's holding up this massive boulder with one arm and. Mm. Um, another one where it looks like there's a baby in a bottle yeah. like a teeny tiny baby in a bottle <laughs> and like a, a girl who looks like she's holding a flame in her hand mm. and he reveals at the end of the book that all these they're not real obviously but all the pictures are genuine pictures that this author owns and he like he, when he came up with the story was because he found these pictures and thought like I wonder what I wonder wow. how they did this. I wonder who these children are. And he found these pictures. He's American. He found these pictures at like flea markets and car boot sales. Mm. And they're just, you know, oldie worldy pictures where you can't, some That's of them, weird. you can't quite figure out how they've done it. And there's one, and it's so creepy because the book's a bit creepy at times. Yeah. Because if anyone knows me, I am a bit of a spook. Um, <laughs> I am a pumpkin. There's these evil creatures called whites mm. that are like out to destroy the peculiar children because they're mm. peculiar children because they all have a peculiarity like um the girl on the front cover you find out her name's olive and mm. she floats okay. so she has to wear steel steel shoes or like have a like a string that yeah. she holds on to so she doesn't float away mm. um and whites are identifiable when they're like pretend to be human because if you your peculiarity is that you can see that they're a white is their eyes are just glazed oh, they're just pure white and there's a picture in the back of the book and it's of this Santa with these two children who look absolutely terrified and his eyes are white oh that's horrible and it's obviously <laughs> like a long exposure photo and he's blinked oh okay and it's a really a really old picture so the kids look miserable because probably been stood there about 15 minutes yeah and the Santa's blinked for just the wrong time but yeah. that's what gave him the idea of these like blank eyes okay and it's just so interesting the way this story formed in this man's head because he found these pictures that are genuine real pictures that he has no explanation for yeah. but that's the story that that's the book that i'm in love with at the minute so definitely a good one to check out then um i'm gonna plug sister outsider by audrey lord we are doing an event on this in i want to say may i'm gonna say may um it's part of our uh, book club this year. I've devoured it. 
I've absolutely, I'm on the last chapter. It's made up of um, prose and writings, I guess, from Audrey Lord. Um, first one starts out with her trip to Russia and just what she learned there. If you want to step in intersectional feminism and you don't want a massive book, good one to start with. It's, I, it's great. It's, it's fantastic and um, has made me think a lot about the world we're living in and what Audrey Lord would think mm. where we're up to right now. Um, she's a black lesbian writer and she, she talks about her view in terms of how she's viewed, how her children are viewed um, and how she feels about being a woman in academia at the time because um, that seems to be something that a lot of people struggle with um it's, it's what why are you in this position because yeah. she's good at it yeah <laughs> she wouldn't have written the book <laughs> um but definitely a good one to check out and obviously as I say we've, we've got an event coming up on that so um it's, it's a short read it's definitely mm. a short read um I listen to audiobooks so I've been listening to um an actress or a voice actor um like it's not an impression but like speak as Audrey Lord and in my head that's what Audrey Lord sounds yeah. like it's really funny okay we're gonna play a game that I invented so uh it's <laughs> I don't know whether it's a good game it's uh did a feminist say this so um, I'm going to read out some quotes and Ellie's going to guess whether or not a feminist said this. I believe in one thing only, the power of human will. I'm going to say not a feminist. It sounds like something a feminist would say. It's, it sounds inspiring. Yeah, but also Hitler was inspiring to many. Yeah, which is interesting you said that because that's Joseph Stalin. So that's brilliant, you know beautiful um never bend your head and always hold it up high look at the world straight in the eye what do we think i i would say that's a feminist it gives me like more uh what, what's the word like it's kind of like a better version of, of like the previous quote no 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 i'm thinking like um don't put your head down your tiara is falling oh which is like no. very like girl boss girl power vibes which yes. we're not here for we're not however i do love the idea of looking the world straight in the eye so i'd like to think a feminist said that yeah so i should have the name here it's helen keller who is a disability or who was a disability rights activist in america so yeah definitely um maybe someone to research if you you fancy mm. looking into her but um yeah i'm hoping one day i'll catch you out <laughs> i'm gonna find some like terrible quotes from awful people that you're like feminism and i'm like don't get no. that tattooed on you that's for sure <laughs> um so is there anything you want to plug um obviously our society femsoc at new to femsoc instagram twitter and facebook yes um i won't plug my instagram because nothing interesting on that <laughs> um but i will plug alok manon 
they are a non-binary activist and I have only recently been introduced to them Mm -hmm. but they are so well educated and everything that they put across is just beauty and grace (laughs) they are I just I can't you check them out on Instagram it's Alloc v Menon it's all one word and I hope you fall in love with them as much as I have um we've got some events coming up for femstock members in the next week on wednesday the 20th we have fashion is a feminist issue which is our first event of our climate change is a feminist issue series this month uh, campaign that's headed up by our vice president jemima and she's also a remake ambassador so check that one out that'll be really interesting on thursday the 21st ellie is holding our monthly intersectionality um obviously the inspiration for this podcast Mm -hmm. and uh we'll be making postcards for the pay up collab with scrapbooking society also want to plug scrapbooking society they're incredible i think they're at musu scrapbooking yes yeah um check them out they're a really cute society and um very chilled exactly what you need when you're stressed mm. out and just such lovely people on the committee yeah uh, very wholesome mm. i also want to plug our merch we have femstock merch on our new website um every month our charity merch raises money for charities obviously um this month we are raising money for North East Solidarity and Teaching, also known as NEST. Um, NEST support refugees in the North East, um, help teaching English with children and adults. They're just a brilliant NGO and I think you should, if you can um, afford any of our charity merch, then definitely do. You can also just donate on our website to NEST. So that's if, if you don't fancy a mask or a um, tote bag, then you know just donate whatever you can all our merch is sustainable ethically sourced made by our lovely committee so um definitely a little treat I guess for January January blues and as Manan says you need as many masks as you have knickers so words to live by (laughs) um and also if you are a, a Newcastle University um, student then membership is still available via our website thank you so much for joining and listening we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of spilling the intersectionality follow us on instagram newsu at, at, at newsu femsoc twitter and facebook thank you for joining me ellie it's my pleasure and we will see you soon